We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, October the 19th, 2021. Today's show, former Gamecocks football player, Alex McGrath joins me. He does each and every single Tuesday to help break down South Carolina's 21 to 20 win over the Vanderbilt Commodores. We also look ahead to this weekend as the Gamecocks travel to College Station, Texas, looking for their first ever win over the Texas A&M Aggies. Guys, all that and much more. Got a packed show here on a Tuesday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom creating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. Let's get it. And every single Tuesday, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex is going to help me break down what was a very eventful and dramatic, which was very unexpected, but a dramatic win over the Vanderbilt Commodores on Saturday. Gamecocks getting the 21-20 to win thanks to the late-game heroics of graduate quarterback Zeb Noland. 
Uh, Shane Beamer getting his first SEC win. But, of course, we're going to break all that down, talk about that game, also look ahead to this weekend's game as South Carolina travels to College Station, Texas, to take on the Texas A&M Aggies. But first things first, Alex, appreciate you taking the time. How was your weekend, my friend, outside of the obvious, which we're going to get into in just a second, how was your weekend overall? It was a good. It was a great weekend, man. Got to you know it was fine. You know the weather is finally cooling off, and so we got to be outside a ton and play in the yard and do all kinds of fun stuff with the kids. So it was it was it was a good weekend. Absent the three and a half hours I spent Saturday afternoon yeah, I, <laughs> watching I was, us play Vanderbilt. I was going to say, speaking of the weather, man, it's a uh, it's a it's a great time of year to to break out the old Peter Millar pullovers and go love hit it, balls. So that's right, <laughs> Peter Peter Millar's loving this time of year. Uh, no it's quarter zip season, baby. It is, it is quarter zip season indeed. Well, Alex, I, you know, what's funny. I, I feel like just the couple of minutes we've been on here, even off air, the common theme is you and I both sound very exhausted when it comes to talking yes. about and thinking about this game. And again, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's been 24 more, I guess probably 48 hours since the Gamecocks did beat Vanderbilt, but, uh, Man, it's like there's so much you can say, but it's also yet exhausting to talk about this football f- football game. We're going to try to do just that again. Gamecocks getting the 21 to 20 win over Vandy. Where do you begin? Again, we both knew and we know this team has has issues, has deficiencies, it has shortcomings. I mean, it, there are things that have to be fixed in recruiting. It's year one, all that good stuff. And again, you get off to a hot start on Saturday, up 14 to three. Jaheim Bell looks like a freaking man child, which I think he's got to touch the football more. But you get off to this hot start. Alex, I honestly thought I was like, you know what? My 31 to 10 prediction, I might be right on the money this week. Little did we know that, like you mentioned, for the next 49 minutes or so, we were going to be in an all-out fight. And if not for Zeb Noland, we'd probably be having a much different conversation here on this Monday afternoon, which is when we're speaking how surprised were you at the way things unraveled? And, I mean, when you look at that game and you just think back to Saturday, is there one thing you look at and say this happened or that happened that there was just the discombobulation we saw? Because for me, like, I genuinely looking back, I'm like, I don't know what went wrong. But sure enough, it completely unraveled on yet williams Rice Stadium. I, I wish I would like I, I told some buddies, you know, I, I was having trouble conjuring up a take to even throw out about what we witnessed on Saturday. But like, honestly, like two drives in, I'm like, OK, we're finally riding the ship on offense. We're going to get in a rhythm here. And then to your point, for 49 straight minutes, we don't score. And then we throw a touchdown with, you know, 37 seconds to go to beat Vanderbilt by one as an 18 and a half point favorite. So I. It, I don't know. I really don't. I, it was the most confusing thing I think I've seen in quite some time. Fourth and four, the Gamecocks go for it instead of kicking the field goal. They don't get it. Do you? I know, I know we've had a couple of these conversations this uh, this season, but like I told you, and it was a really cool Saturday. Got to sit with a couple of former Gamecock football players and go in the Letterman's Lounge and talk to some other people. Not everybody was a fan of the decision, and I'm talking former players. I'm not talking people on yeah. Twitter. Your thoughts. I know you like airing on the side of aggression. Did you like it, though? Personally, I did. Hated the play call. Hated the play call. But loved the decision <laughs> yeah. to go for it, which unfortunately feels like a lot of the theme this season. But your overall thoughts going forward on that fourth and four, did you have any issue with it? No. 
I had no issue with it. And I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll, we can, we can play the butterfly flaps its wings and in Indonesia trick here. You know, let's say we kick that field goal and we make it. And then Zeb goes in. Do we try to throw a touchdown to end mm-hmm. the game or do we kick it and try to go to overtime? Right. Great point. Which, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'd like to that end. I'm glad we didn't do it. So, you know, it worked out. Mm-hmm. It did. And let, let's start, too, with a positive because, again, there's just so many things from this game that we can dissect that went poorly. Uh, Jaheim Bell, uh, definitely, again, for me, my biggest takeaway from Saturday on a positive note is that he's got to touch the football more. What he did on Saturday, you look at the statistics, man, uh, absolutely went off at the Gamecocks. I believe it was, let's see, yeah, six catches, 136 yards, a touchdown. And here's the thing, Alex, 116 of those yards were after the catch. So a guy that – you get the football in his hands. You can make big plays. You know, I, I don't want to get too aggressive in my comparisons, but he's got sort of that Jared Cook type of quality to him where he's sort of a mismatch nightmare for opposing defenses. Yeah, and we've been talking about this for weeks, that he needs to touch the ball more. So, like, on that, you know, second possession there, to see him get it and just take off at the end zone for 82 was it was awesome to see, but then it kind of rears the same question. Like, well, why haven't we been doing this the entire time? So, you know, it, that was fantastic to see. I'm glad they're trying to give him the ball more. Mm. Now, the uncomfortable conversation, Luke Doty. Uh, mm-hmm. your, your thoughts on his play. And I don't know if you you heard me make this point, Alex. I'm not sure if you did. But, you know, where I was sitting, and this is what concerns me with Luke. And, again, we're going to get into, you know, the fact Zeb Nolan will be getting the nod in College Station. Hey, will Luke Doty even see the field again this season? Who knows? But what concerned me, because Luke did not play well. That, let's just start with that. He didn't play well. Bottom line, he, he didn't. He was overthrowing some guys. I've seen a sharper Luke Doty before. What concerned me with Luke Doty, and again, is this a coaching issue? Is this a Luke Doty issue? Where does this all stem from? But being as low as I was in the stadium, you know, when you're on the 10th row, you can see a lot of things you can't see from a different vantage point in regards to, like, you know, uh, uh, body language and emotion and the way the players are interacting with one another, all that good stuff. And I'm sure you may have seen it on TV, by the way, with Luke Doty and Eric Douglas on more than one occasion were jawing back and forth, and Eric Douglas was not very happy with Luke Doty. And I'm assuming this was due to, like you've mentioned before in previous weeks, protection calls, not being on the same page, just pure discombobulation, right? And because it's, it's looking bad on the O-line. We've been putting it all on the O-line this season. But seeing that, I started to think, oh, no. Like, is there, is there some confusion, even on Luke's end, that, that we're not giving enough credit to? And it's like, I guess my thought was like, how can this still be happening in week seven? You know, how can this still be happening? Um, either way, we know Luke Doty's probably out this week. When you looked at his game, though, again, I, I'm not throwing away number four because of one bad performance. I think his career here can still be great, and he had one bad game. Everybody has a bad game. Is It is what it is. But, again, it's sort of one of those things, like you mentioned, man, it, it's really hard to find the words, I guess, because I guess it's just so shocking uh, at the performance. But any major takeaways from Luke Doty and what you saw? And is there like, – what, what are your thoughts on, on again, that, that takeaway, that analysis I had? Like I said, just I, I think there's – there's definitely something to be said about the miscommunication and the issues going on between Doty, the O-line, probably the coordinator. It, it's just it's just bad all the way around. 
Yeah, that's, and I think, uh, let me, let me backtrack on what we talked about several weeks ago when, you know, somebody told me that, that, you know, the quarterback's making the protection call at the line and that just needs to stop. It wasn't like, I didn't mean to have that come out. Like it was, I, I was blaming the offensive line for miscues. Like, I don't think a freshman quarterback needs to be making those calls in all those situations. I mean, that's got to be something that's coming down from the top for him until he kind of recognizes that stuff or you have some more faith in it. I think probably what you saw on the sidelines was just that playing completely out where we're making the wrong protection call or putting somebody in a bad position for where they can't do their job from a protection standpoint, from a run blocking standpoint. So that was really, I didn't mean for that to you know come down entirely on the line. That's really a quarterback O-line problem that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, as for his performance, like, okay, so I, I'm getting some really like weird parallels here to what year was it? this was two years ago, 2019, whenever, you know, Holinsky had looked like he had the knee issue or the elbow issue that he got hurt earlier in the year and the ball started sailing and it wasn't looking like that was, you know, meshing the way it should have been. I have this very similar vibe to what we've been watching here recently, but like in mostly just because we don't know for sure what the extent of that foot injury is. And that plant foot is big for quarterbacks. And if that's uncomfortable, you start to, you know, you know, anybody that's ever been in a repetitive motion game of perfection, so to speak, you know, it's like for you pitching, like if you're, if you're push leg, if there's something wrong with that, oh, yeah. you're going to compensate for what hurts mm -hmm. you there somewhere else. And then like all that can snowball on you when the accuracy gets off, you get into bad habits and things like that. I think that happened to Holinsky two years ago. I think, Again, not knowing like how severe this was, I think that could be happening to Luke here because you know what we were supposed to see from him was this like dynamic dual threat quarterback that's got you know all the wheels in the world that he's you know not really used at all this season, and so it kind of makes you question like okay why is that happening? And then you start to look at some of the accuracy issues that are sitting out there. I mean, he threw, he threw a great ball to Jaheim. He played well in the first quarter, and then things kind of went sideways. Did he get <laughs> – this is going way deep in the weeds, but are they, you know, numbing that to start the game and it starts wearing off? Like, what – there's some things amiss there. I don't know what it is, and I may be reading way too much into that, but that's just kind of my take. And, you know, in a similar vein, you know, Kevin Harris hasn't looked anything like he did last year. What kind of back surgery did he have in the offseason? Mm -hmm. Who could say? But something's off there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if that's the case with Luke, he doesn't need to play anymore until that gets better because it's not serving anybody any good right now to have him trying to, you know, play hero ball at 75% when if we have just as good chance with Zeb standing back there, let him play until you get better. Do, do you, Alex, do you uh, do you understand the frustration from fans in regards to what you're talking about with the injuries and stuff like that? Because, you know, I, I, I've talked to you about the culture of football before in, in different ways. And I think another piece of that, the culture of football, you know, gone are the days where, you know, I remember Coach Spurrier, and obviously when you were there, but, but coaches used to open up practices and things were a little more relaxed and sort of just open now, like coaches are extremely secretive. They're extremely anal about everything. They, you know, they got to keep it's all about gamesmanship. And I don't want to say covering up injuries, but not disclosing it. And that and that's totally fine, right? That that's I get it. Hey, you're the the these coaches don't really owe the fan bases anything in that regard. 
But I think for a fan base that's coming off of the Muschamp era where we heard, and you know this, we heard so many things about injuries so many times. Like, I mean, how many times do we hear, he's got an ankle, he's got a foot, he's got an elbow, he's got this, he's got that. Uh, we're going to reevaluate. He should be good to go on Saturday. And then the guy's out six weeks. It doesn't make any sense. And I think for fans, they simply want it to make sense. And again, you you are, it is totally within the coach's right to withhold things and not disclose everything, but you're also not going to make many friends that way. And I think that's what's kind of frustrating too. And it even frustrates me with the Luke Doty thing is, and why, you know, I told you off air and I said this on social media, like uh, enough with the 90%, 95%, he's getting closer to 100%. If he's not 100%, he shouldn't play another down. Like I, I, I'm done. I'm done with it. Like I, I don't want to see a 90% Luke Doty because it's it's a disservice to the football team. It's a disservice to the fan base. But most importantly, it's a disservice to Luke Doty because he can't be the best version of himself, which in turn, the offense can't be the best version of themselves, which in turn is just pissing everybody off. And people are unfairly labeling this kid as he's not SEC caliber. He's not this. He's not that. And so I feel for Luke Doty. I mean, I know he's a warrior. He wants to be out there. But I think you would agree, man. It's like, if he like if he needs surgery, if he's not 100%, just ride it out with Zeb the rest of the way. Stop putting this kid in these compromising situations where, I mean, it's really a lose-lose for him, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, 100. I mean, that's the same way I felt about Holinsky two years ago. It was like, if his elbow's not 100%, what do you, like, you got other people. Throw somebody yeah. else out there. I mean, like, when it relates to, like, what kind of injury you're talking about, I think 99% of that is done to protect the player. Right. Because you don't want to you don't want to get in a press conference and be like, oh, he's got a bad ankle, and then all of a sudden you got somebody taking a cheap shot at his ankle because they know which one it is or what it is. Um, you know, the NFL is obviously a lot more candid about those matters because of gambling purposes. And I mean, I know college football is a huge gambling market, but it's not to that degree. Right, right. Um, so I mean, it's frustrating, but I understand why they do it. Right. No, for sure. And I, I, I just, I guess I'm, I'm one of those where again, you know, it's, it's funny. I've had people say, "Oh, Luke Doty's your best friend. You're, you're biased to Luke Doty." I, I don't think any of us are that way, man. It's like I, I want to see the best player play, but, uh, you know, the reason that I thought this offense would be so improved this year and would take a step forward is because of Luke Doty's athleticism and his dynamic ability, and, uh, you know, his ability to get outside the pocket and make things happen. And just we just haven't seen that. And so, if he doesn't give you that dynamic ability then he shouldn't be out there because that's literally his strength where it's supposed to be. Yeah. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, like you said, man, it's like, where do you even go with the Vanderbilt game? Again, I keep going back and <laughs> forth because, because I, I had fully accepted South Carolina was going to lose and Zeb Nolan comes in the heroics, you know, how much of what he did was him and how much of it was Vanderbilt playing a prevent defense for some reason with soft coverage and just allowing him to, pick them apart I don't know either way thank goodness it happened Zeb Nolan with the game winner to Xavier Leggett in the back of the end zone and this is this is the perspective I want to provide Alex and not just you but everyone obviously I know you have you have great perspective on this but um does it not feel like a miracle we're four and three I mean to a degree I, I, I sit here and I'm like I cannot believe South Carolina's four and three right now and when you even think about it further the Gamecocks have doubled their win total from last year and here's what's even crazier to me. They have matched their win total from 2019. They've already matched it with five games left. So, you know, 
we we knew it was going to be a roller coaster and a bit rocky in year one. Did, did I think it was going to be quite this topsy-turvy all over the place? Not necessarily, but at minimum, you can take, you know, you, you can uh, you can be happy about the fact that Gamecocks have hit the over in Vegas, and I guess you could say, quote-unquote, exceeded expectations in that regard, and, and uh, you know, now you've got five more opportunities to see if you can't pull an upset or two, and, and uh, who knows, maybe fight for a bowl, but... Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm sort of conflicted on it, Alex, in regards to how to feel about the game because it's again, you 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 beat Vanderbilt by one, but damn it, I tell you what, if you think our conversation today is tough, imagine if the final score would have been twenty to fourteen doors, it would have been a much much Ooh. much different day we're having. Yes, it would have been. I mean, I, I can add this one for you. I mean, we turned the ball over four times and won, and which, committed ten penalties. That's got something's got to break there. Like I don't even. <laughs> I don't even really know what to say on that front just because that can't keep happening. Yeah. No, I agree. I do. What, what do you, let me ask you, what do you think it is? Because you know, I, I see some restless fans that think it's on coaching and, and Beamer's too nice. He's too friendly with the players. There's no accountability. And again, I, I think trying to draw those conclusions, even if that's the case, trying to draw those conclusions, you don't know you're not in the building. And I, and I can assure you, they're not in there coaching them up to commit penalties and do stupid things. Um, again, I, I, I don't know if I, saying I feel for Beamers, the right, right way to phrase it, but I, I understand the challenge he has right now because he wants to be, I'm sure he wants to be the disciplinarian and come down hard on guys, but he's also got the balancing act of trying to still gain the trust and the support of the players that aren't guys he recruited. You know, it's much easier to discipline your own kids. It's much harder to discipline somebody else's because they're not yours. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. What, what, do you, what, what do you blame, I guess, the penalties on? I mean, it's, I guess accountability's got to fall on all parties at this point. Yeah, I think, uh, truthfully, I think most of – so, like, I mean, your holdings, pass interferences, like that kind of stuff is just sloppy play. So, I mean, there's, that's just stuff you have to clean up as a player. Like, you can't – you just can't do that kind of stuff. So, you got to put yourself in a better position. I think the ones that become more frustrating are your false start yeah. penalties that we seem to rack up with reckless abandon. And I think that, honestly, is more confusion – you know, and it goes back to what we were talking about with the you know quarterback making the protection call. It's like you're putting too much information in their head at one time for them to process and remember everything. And so, you know, like the broken record I think I've turned into, you got to simplify this stuff. And that stuff goes away. You know, we simplify it down for now, like work it in over the offseason, work it in over the spring. Like don't throw all of that in front of a group that's going through a transition that's never run this before and expect it to be executed perfectly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever you can do to simplify that base package down, you know, whether that's, you know, not making different protection calls, changing up snap counts, you know, going off the center, you know, whatever you have to do there, like those things you can fix. And I think that, you know, probably to the fans credit is that's the frustrating part. And that is something that could be addressed from the coaching staff. But, it I, I mean, who could say it, Bill, get to that? Well, yeah, and I think what's frustrating too, man, is, again, being there in person and watching it is you mentioned the false starts and the offensive penalties. I don't know if we just can't handle prosperity or what, it, but, like, we just can't get out of our own way. It's, it's, like, it's like if we just ever moved out of our own way, it, we'd be great. But every time, and, again, 
everybody wants to put it on Satterfield. It, it, you know, it's funny. I don't feel like as many people are talking about play calling today as I expected, but uh, maybe one of the reasons is just, I mean, dude, I don't know how Satterfield, I don't know how I'd call plays for this team either. Cause it's like every time they get something going, there's a fumble, there's a penalty, there's something, just something stupid. And you know what, at this point, Alex, I think it's safe to say going into week eight, you are who you are. And that game we saw, I mean, am I totally shocked at how the game played out? Unfor- well, and I'll tell you this, if you'd have told me in pregame four turnovers and 10 penalties, I'd have said South Carolina's probably lucky to win the game by a point. They, they probably are just lucky to win, period. But, you know, if you look at the SEC pundits and people that have labeled SEC football all season long, and, uh, you know, they, they've labeled the Gamecocks as the 13th or 14th best team in this conference and Vanderbilt in one of the other two slots and, I'll be honest with you, Alex, that's what the game looked like on Saturday. It looked like the two worst teams in the SEC playing a football game. Yeah. Unfortunately, we still have Missouri coming up. Right. <laughs> so, so we'll settle that debate on the field once and for all. Yeah, for sure. And, and I want to get into that, that uh, you know, that, that, that's the, the last five games for in this game, you know, against A&M and College Station. I, I don't want to leave off the Vandy game without saying just really quickly footnote, because, again, they just keep getting, keep getting pushed aside because of the offensive issues. Clayton White, defensive staff, hell of a job. They're the only reason probably you won the football game because they just kept you in it, especially in the second half, those last like four or five drives. Kudos to them. Incredible stuff. Um, I'll tell you this, by the way, before we get directly into the A&M game, these last five games, because the question now moves into, will South going to win another football game this season? And it's easy to overreact and say, oh, absolutely not. Like South is as bad as we saw against Vandy. Are you quite that bad? I don't know. Where does this team fall? I I, I don't know. Either way, you're four and three. And you've got A&M, Florida, Mizzou, Auburn, and Clemson. I think the best thing going for South Carolina, Alex, is that South Carolina faces a number of teams who are damn near as messed up as they are and have almost Mm -hmm. damn near as many issues. I mean, it's a mess in Gainesville. Mizzou's terrible. Auburn is who knows what you're ever going to get out of Auburn. And then Clemson, God, they're just like a reflection of what South Carolina is doing right now. So I think that's honestly, if you're looking for hope and optimism in these last five games, that's sort of for me where it has to start is like, you know what? Do I think South Carolina is just going to line up and beat someone for 60 minutes? I'll be honest with you. I don't. I, I don't think they're going to. But but the good news is this. You played some really flawed football teams that they might outmistake you. And there might be a day where you wake up and for some strange reason decide to take advantage of an opponent's mistakes and find a way to get a win. <laughs> I guess no, that's where I, my I, sense of optimism comes from. So I, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I think, you know, I, who could speculate what's actually happening to Clemson right now? Like that, that again, Wild. continues to make absolutely <laughs> no sense to me whatsoever. Um, you know, Missouri, is choosing not to play defense this season for, you know, again, reasons that are beyond me. Auburn, you know, you, <laughs> like, we're due, we're due for a four turnover Bonex game. So I'm sure that's coming down the pipe. Um, you know, AM seemingly turned a corner against right. Bama, but, you know, they haven't been world beaters this year. And then the, the one I would give pause to, like, the one I feel least confident about, honestly, is Florida now that they, I guess have come to the realization that Anthony Richardson's the best quarterback on that team. Um, a couple, week, couple weeks late, but yeah, a couple yeah. weeks late, but that dude, that dude's a stud. So I have, I have some pause there, but the rest of it, I kind of look at like, you know what? We could, we could realistically beat any of those teams. Yeah. 
Will we? Well, you know, yeah. I hope so, but I mean, we could. Yeah. You, you speak of the A&M game. Let's move into that one, of course. It is Texas A&M week. First thing is this. Zeb Noland, obviously, is your starting quarterback. He's been named the starter. Alex, I'm keeping expectations very realistic for Zeb, and that's not a knock on Zeb at all, but I am. I'm keeping expectations realistic. I'm not overreacting to one drive against the Vanderbilt Commodores and thinking to myself, he's going to go out there and throw for 300, and this offense is all of a sudden just going to be these world beaters that go score 40. I think people, their memories are very short, which is a good and bad thing, but I have not forgotten how much Zeb Nolan struggled against East Carolina in that first half, okay? Uh, but mm-hmm. Zeb Nolan gets the start. Anything particular you're looking for from him? Because I, I will say this. If nothing else, here's the one thing, Alex. At this point, we can't run the ball. That, that's, that's a known fact. That, that's, that's not a secret anymore. 3.5 yards per carry. It's what we're averaging for the season. Probably what we'll do against a We can't run the ball with any consistency. So at this point, I think you got to just air it out. I mean, I think you have That's to. That's what I'm hoping for. You have to. Throw you don't have a Right. You don't have a choice. So maybe that does fit Zeb Nolan better. You hope and pray to God the offensive line can protect him against a pretty damn talented Texas A&M defensive front. But anything particular you're looking for from Zeb Nolan, do you expect the offense to look much differently? I mean, again, I, I know fans are getting what they want. Now, you know, all the fans after that game Saturday were clamoring for Zeb has to start. Zeb has to start. And again, I, I'm one of those, hey, whatever Beamer says, I'm rocking with it. He wants to say it's Zeb, cool. If he came out last night or whenever and said, hey, Luke Doty's our guy still, I would have went with that. But your overall thoughts on the quarterback situation because, you know, we dance around it, but it really does all start with quarterback for this offense. Oh, for sure. And listen, I, it is my sincerest wish that the offense and Colonel Zeb go out there and throw it 50 times on Saturday because, again, like our pass blocking didn't look that bad Saturday. I don't know if – I mean, I would ask you that question watching yeah. it from the stands. But Doty, I mean, was only, Doty, like, Doty was only sacked once. I mean, I, it, it was better. It was certainly better. Certainly better. Yeah, so, I mean, that's two weeks in a row with, like, pass blockings looked vastly improved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In addition to, for the seventh time in a row, our run game has been absolutely nowhere to be found. Um, so, you know, I hope they err on that side of, you know, throwing it 50 times rather than, you know, beating your head into a wall trying to establish a running attack. Does that put our defense in the best position if you're going three and out a bunch? No. Um, but, you know, from a confidence standpoint, I mean, that was a confidence-boosting drive, I would say, Zeb put together mm-hmm. Saturday night. And... You know, playing that into Texas A&M, you're already an underdog. Like, what do you get? You're going to you got to pull out all the stops in this to give yourself a chance. So that's where I hope we err on that side. It's just feature Jaheim Bell, get the ball to Josh Van, like feed these guys, mm-hmm. let that open up plays for your other receivers to catch balls underneath, that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, just give yourself a chance. Because I think if we go out there and try to run the ball 25, 30 times, that's not going to be a recipe for success. Yeah, t- tell me, Alex, if you hear me out on this, by the way, that that last drive with Zeb, that felt very, like, when I was watching that, <clears throat> I said to myself, this feels very, like, Spurrier-esque. In, in the sense of, like, Spurrier's offense was very, you know, go into your drop, the ball should be here at this moment, the receiver's going to be right there, he's going to catch it, and that's how that offense worked, right? Off of timing and the quarterback putting the ball on the money in a certain spot. That's kind of what Zeb Nolan, like, it, he was, I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due, and he was very, 
five steps, boom to the corner. I mean, he just nails him. I, I was like, this this feels very like a Spurrier esque type of type of system we saw on that last drive. Totally agree. It looked, I mean, it ran like a well-oiled machine. Kudos yeah. to Vanderbilt's defensive coordinator for playing off as far as they did. But, you yeah. know, like, you know, it worked. And so, you know, we, we even got a reemergence of Xavier Leggett. Yeah. Who has been unexplicably absent for seven weeks this season. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully that gets back in there. For sure. Now, Gamecocks, Alex, open up as a 19-point underdog. That spread has since jumped. A&M is a 21-point favorite. I'll be totally honest with you, Alex. I have no confidence going in this one. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil my, you know, my predictions and my projections for later this week. I have no confidence whatsoever. A and M has owned South Carolina since the series started in 2014. I think 21 is probably a pretty on the money number. I, I know Texas A and M was abysmal before the Alabama game, but it looks like maybe they did turn a corner. Obviously, they took care of business against Mizzou, who's not a very good football team, but. Unfortunately, you're not a very good football team either. So your thoughts going into this one, I mean, again, I, I don't think anybody looked at this game in the preseason and said, oh, this, this is a game South Carolina is going to win or even looked at it as, a, as an upset, upset special because of the struggles the Gamecocks have had against the Aggies. But uh, your thoughts, emotions, feelings going in this one and, and anything particular you're looking for? I mean, other than just like an increased reliance on the passing game, I mean, that's like, you just don't keep doing the same thing. That's not working. That's really it. Hmm. And, you know, get Jaheim Bell involved more. You know, if Xavier Legat's better now, like let's get him the ball more. Let's just keep increasing our options that we have on the outside. And just please keep it within the spread. Yeah. Better chance of happening this weekend. Alex McGrath breaking 70 or the Gamecocks not committing a single penalty. I mean, it's got to be me, right? <laughs> I think so, too. It honestly. has to be. It has yeah. to be me. <laughs> I think I you think, can get hot. I, mean, I, I think you I, can get I mean, hot. Yeah. I like my I like my chances better than like <laughs> us not committing a penalty. I'll put yeah. it that way. Yeah. <laughs> put him put him on a course he knows. I think it's very possible. Yeah, I, I don't Hell see yeah. any, I don't see on any planet where the game guys don't commit a penalty. <laughs> I don't know what it would take for South Carolina to not commit a penalty in a game at this point. I, I just I have no idea. I, I mean, no we we're, we're, we got to be getting close to a record of some kind, I would think. At and least then, for the school. And then apparently I I, I heard that we are the second I think we're second to last in like opposing penalties against. So not only do we make a ton of penalties, but the teams we play on average, they don't hardly make any. So try to figure that just, just, just do the math on that one. How that plays out. So uh, this feels like a wonderful time to scapegoat the officiating, but I don't think I should. Right. Go well, there. and again, it's just, those are, it's, it's even more, more statistics that'll make you or should make you appreciate the fact that the Gamecocks are four and three right now. Cause, and I, and I'll tell you this again, just on, on, on closing remarks, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's been very up and down and topsy turvy and there, there's just been plenty of shortcomings and issues, deficiencies, and everything's got to be, get better in my mind. Hey, I didn't think it was a great or a very well coached game on Saturday. I mean, everything needs to be better. No doubt. First year staff, first year coaches, this roster, you kind of are what you are. I'll tell you what, though, even if South Carolina just wins one game with their final five, I'll be honest with you, five and seven, with all things considered, 
I I don't know how you don't tip your cap to Beamer. I, I just I just really don't because you know on, on one hand I know some fans are going to be very upset and say we've got too much talent to do this. We've you know we we're we're messing up here. We're messing up there. We're we're not good here. We're not good there. On the flip side, I almost say to myself, dude, how many times this season to the first seven weeks could the thing just have completely come off the tracks? I mean, how many times did Beamer and his staff, but how many times did they just hold it together? You know what I mean? I mean, because, again, it really could have fallen apart early. Brand new staff. You know, if you drop one of these games to an ECU or a Troy or, God forbid, a Vandy, it's like, this coach doesn't know what he's doing. He's an idiot. He's put, you know. So I actually commend them for, for keeping things as 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 buttoned up as they they possibly could to this point. Oh, for sure, yeah. Because I mean, what you kick a field goal as time expires to beat ECU, you're in the game with Troy the entire time. You throw a last second touchdown pass to beat Bandy. You're you're teetering on the precipice of having one win on the season, yeah. and you know, look at the end of like I think I think a lot of the fan frustration. And even my frustration to a degree is just coming from like, look, we've beaten the teams we're supposed to be. Mm. We just haven't done it in a fashion I think most people wanted to see where, oh, we just ran away with this one. You know, we saw a ton of progress here. Any of those things. I mean, you know, defensively, you know, we've been put in a position to win these games by the defense, you know, every single week. Yeah, you know they've created turnovers. They put the offense in good positions, and that just hasn't been executed. And I think that's just hangover from the Muschamp era, where that was just the case for five straight seasons. Yeah, and I think that frustration is just kind of boiling over. Like you want to see something new, you don't want to go down the same rabbit hole you've already been down. And look, I, I don't, and I don't think we're going down that rabbit hole, but you know, I think that's just where a lot of it boils over from. That hang-your-hat game, that is the game Shane Beamer, his staff, will be looking for in these last five weeks. And again, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to have sort of that, quote-unquote, signature win in year one, especially when we're talking about the last week of the season, which we'll get into uh, in a couple of weeks. But uh, certainly, there are going to be a lot of opportunities. It starts this weekend in College Station when the Gamecocks travel to Aggieland to take on Texas A&M. Alex, always a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time, and we'll chat this same time next week for sure. All right, man. For sure. He's Alex McGrath. I'm Chris Wiltz. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.